right it's time for another episode of reconsinimation i am john diner i'm david munchak and this is the podcast where we take a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s 80s and 90s and david we've been uh we've had quite an opening to uh year three of our show don't you think absolutely we're we're sailing right along here pretty amazing stuff yeah it's paxton fest 2020 we're That's it. what it's all been about so far, and just kicking it off with a bang. Yeah, this is it. Bill Paxton, a hero among actors, a king among men. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I think for what our show does, he's exactly the, the kind of guy that was, like our show was made for. So I'm, right. I'm, ex- right. I'm, ex- I'm excited we get, to, we get to tackle some of the Paxtons. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun, and and you know Paxton's been somebody who's really been around. Gosh, you know our whole lives, starting with you know Weird Science and Terminator and Commando, all the way through. You know, I think Nightcrawler was the last uh, big movie of his that uh, that that at least that I saw. So mm-hmm. um, you know he was quite a presence for a really long run and. It's been fun to kind of look back at some of his films and some that were great, like Aliens and Near Dark, and some that maybe aren't as great or fondly looked upon, like Navy Seals. And uh, and we're here with uh, another big one today. Oh, and it, it doesn't really get much bigger than this. We're talking <laughs> F5s, baby. We're talking <laughs> big storms and bigger chasers. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because we've spent all this time talking about his movies and we actually ha- we haven't really talked about Bill on a personal level at all. Mm. Um, so just I want to take just a second to take a look back at uh, at Bill um, yeah. himself. He was uh, born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas. His dad was a, a lumber wholesaler and a museum executive. So kind of a, a wide variety oh. of jobs. Uh, his name was John Paxton. And later on, he'd end up showing up in small roles in, in some of, uh, you know, some of Bill's films like uh, Simple Plan, which you can uh, listen to in the archives at www.reconsinimation.com. We took a look at that about, oh gosh, six months ago, January. Sure. I think that was the first one of 2020 that we covered. That could be right. It's, it's Time is so hard for me to keep track of these days 
Time is time is hard right now. Time uh, is is a thing. What, like I don't even I don't know if they they could add or take away days from the calendar, and I I'd never notice. That's just it's all the same. Yeah. So dates don't matter. Weekends, weekdays, it's yeah. all one thing. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, it was fun uh, going over that one, uh, and really like both of us affirming uh, our love for Bill. But uh, yeah, wh- he's been doing this. He did. He's been he was in the game for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, his uh, interesting fact: his great great grandfather was a general in the Confederate Army in the Civil War. Oh, I'm surprised that he never did like that. Knowing Bill, like he didn't explore that at some point. Maybe he would have as he got older, uh, but uh, I guess we'll never know. But right, that's pure speculation um, on your. Part. <laughs> there and and, and uh, researching Bill a little bit, it, I he it turns out he got rheumatic fever when he was thirteen and and got his heart was damaged from that and he recovered from the fever. But I wonder if you know that the damage to his heart is what ended up unfortunately kind of catching up with him and and he he had passed away after having like major heart surgery and then within a few days he had had a stroke and unfortunately passed but uh i wonder if that was related to that yeah it could be i mean he was only 61 after and after having that surgery and you know yeah any complications anything who knows but uh uh yeah so we've he's been gone with us he's been gone from us for about three over three years now yeah, yeah. It's uh it seems like it was just yesterday that we heard the news. Yeah, I mean, we're so we're so used to him just being around and being in, you know, just a wide variety of both. I guess he had, you know, really done mostly features up until he uh was on Big Love on HBO for that run and then he kind of stuck a, didn't stick around, but he did more and more television yeah. uh interspersed with with film. But uh, he broke into the business. Uh, di- he actually started directing uh, music videos and short films. He had, he had directed a music video called Fish Heads that aired on the 1980 season of Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. Did you ever see that? Fish Heads, Fish Heads, Roly Poly Fish Heads. He directed that. Is that is that yeah. the right? Is that the thing I'm thinking of? <laughs> I think that's the yeah. Holy cow! I didn't know that. That's a very yeah. early memory of mine. Like one of the first. Like e- early memories of like something on the television screen. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you go, you just, you and Bill are connected way back. Yeah. He touched my life before I even knew he, he was going to touch it again years later. <laughs> um, so that, uh, you know, that didn't really lead to a big, you know, directing career that he was might have been hoping for at the time. But he ended up getting involved with Roger Corman as a set dresser and in the art department. And uh, while working on, I think it was, was it Big Bad Mama? I think was, uh, it may have been Big Bad Mama, but uh, mm. that he ended up meeting James Cameron on. And uh, they had connected and become friends, and and uh, he would work with uh, Cameron here and there going forward. But definitely led to his acting, you know, first acting roles with uh, Cameron, and sort of one thing led to another. You know, he had uh, the small on-camera role in 
and uh, Terminator 1, and then, you know, you got Commando, and then all, all kind of led to him getting Aliens, and mm-hmm. and then, you know, his career, as we talked about on, on our Aliens and our Near Dark uh, podcasts, which you can listen to in the archives, uh, we, we, you know, we covered his journey from playing these really small supporting roles to much bigger supporting roles, and then eventually... Um, you know, he would eventually start getting lead roles. And that kind of leads to the movie we're talking about today. Fast forward from our last uh, entry in the Paxton Fest, which was Navy SEALs. So skip ahead six years. We're talking about the one of the biggest blockbusters of the 90s and definitely of 1996. It's Twister. Twister. This one's ripe for us. This one's This one's perfect. Perfect 90s blockbuster <laughs> fair for us to revisit, I think. Yeah. With all the craziness of the world, it's, uh, you know, it's funny because, like, I really liked this movie when it first came out and then I couldn't stand it forever. And now I'm kind of back on, like, appreciating the fluff popcorning movie with the heaviness that's out there in the world today. Yeah. I, I, I do think, you know, your enjoyment of this film really depends on a, a very specific like your environment or <laughs> what the what your life is like um, yeah because uh, i think that's i think we need a little i think we're ready for some some things that that don't matter but but can excite us a little bit without it dripping with uh, drama and gravitas <laughs> and pathos so <laughs> which this movie has none of those things <laughs> but right. it's uh it, it's a yeah, it's an interesting. I, I think I had the same thing of you, like s- knowing about it, kind of liking it, and then just sort of considering it more or less a joke of a film, and then coming back to f- for the show, kind of like rep- appreciating this way more than I expected. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really doing what it's achieving its goal of a a big, exciting popcorn. You know, you don't have to, you can unscrew your brain a little bit. You don't have to work really hard to keep up with it. Uh, popcorn, you know, summer movie. And, and uh, you know, it's effective at that. It's uh, it's funny because I, you know, even a, a year ago or even less, like I would be all over myself for having said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it has, you're right. I think a movie like this has its time and place and it's not... It's not a poorly made movie because there are a lot of big budget action movies that aren't well made um, that are really, you know, really hard to watch um, mm-hmm. that don't work. You know, this is this is a little different. But uh, what when was it? Did you see this in the theaters? When was the first time you saw it? No, I, I passed this up. I didn't I didn't go to the theater for this one. I actually saw it. I want to say around 2001. Um, my girlfriend at the time had, had always been obsessed with this movie, um, because I think of how, how fun and how bad it is like, in terms of, mm-hmm. she really, she really loved talking about the, the mistakes in the film. And then, uh, and there are a lot of like continuity errors and just like bad, bad production things that like, if you're really looking for them, they, they stand out. Um, in the edit and uh, she was she just always liked to have fun with that so she like introduced me to it she would talk about it I'm like all right great well let's watch it and uh, 
and I so 2001. So I think I still appreciate it for like how big the movie was in that post like 90s, you know, post Independence Day, big big action thrills uh, kind of thing. So I think I was still like, yeah, this was pretty good, and it's funny. All this stuff is funny about it and all that, and you know, Paxton and Hunt and Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, given everything they got, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. so I and mean, then some. There is some talent in this film. There is some great talent There's in this a, film. Yeah, it's funny because there there is a huge cast in this movie of really great actors that don't quite get to uh, utilize their strengths. Let's yeah. say, yeah. But did you go and see this uh, in the theater opening night? What happened? Oh yeah. What happened? Oh yeah, yeah. The, this was I saw this in the theater and was very you know my the summer of '96 was a very interesting year for for old John. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a mix of two things. I was very into the blockbuster movies, of which there were many. I mean, I think '96 was really the first. Big, the first year where they really institutionalized the summer blockbuster that it was like one after another after another, just boom, 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 boom. Almost every week was some kind of big movie. Not that there hadn't been big movies released during the summers previously, but it was like it became a thing after 96. Yeah. We, we kind of talked about that on our Independence Day episode about how that launched the 4th of July weekend, that being such a big event for cinema and and uh, but this it was really that entire summer that really started that trend. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I this was the one of the last movies I saw with both of my parents together. Mm. Um, you know, we I think we went. Uh, I recall going on a Sunday afternoon to the Jefferson Valley Mall, seeing the theater there, which mm-hmm. was the only theater in our town really uh, for quite some time. But um, yeah, saw it there and. I was really into it. I was very excited. I I I was all uh, all on board with the um, huge scale of the movie and the hype about it. And I remember the trailer was just the original trailer was just that almost the entire opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's right. And it was they just they didn't want to reveal any any part of the movie yet, so they just showed that clip was basically the trailer and a, a teaser, really. Because you don't see the twister, it's all a big tease. But uh, I was very excited about that, and I uh, it was later that summer that I would get an education into the Hollywood new wave that I go on and on about on mm-hmm. this show. Uh, from the you know, I was my uncle sat me down and showed me Chinatown, Deer Hunter, Apocalypse Now, uh, Godfather Two. I'd seen one already, uh, Mean Streets, and just kind of went through a gauntlet of those 70s movies. So by the end of that summer, I was complete, like I had almost done a 180 and I was already like really down on, on Twister just months after having loved it so much. Oh man, look at that. You're just, yeah. Your highly educated heart became too cynical to keep the love for the, the, the F5 that blew into your, into your life. <laughs> <laughs> And then after it was that winter that or that fall that I started working at Suncoast, and um, I remember remember just having to push, you know, the the pre orders for Twister over and over and over, just really hard, really shove that on people. And it was one of the biggest releases, and it was even it was the first major release on DVD. Oh, really? Yeah. 
So you were so DVD came out in in like the early '97, and uh, I remember getting the first box of it, and it was all older movies. It was it was mostly like Warner Brothers and MGM titles. Mm-hmm. Like I remember opening it and seeing Blade Runner and Raging Bull, Color Purple, uh, Batman. That was like kind of in that first batch of them. Nice. But the first, the next, uh, or the first big new movie to have a big release on DVD was Twister. Oh, I so see. So that was like kind of like this constant movie that first year of, of Twister's life, whether it was in the theater or on VHS or on DVD, it was like kind of always surrounding me, I felt like. <laughs> <laughs> Twister. Yeah, like a tornado. Twister was... <laughs> came and stayed for like a year you're right like you know <laughs> it, it kept popping up <laughs> yeah and uh it beca- it's a big cultural m- movie i think i think people were really excited about the effects of this thing and you know everyone loved helen hunt uh mm-hmm. that i don't know it was just like this was this was the big movie to go see i think and, and yeah I, yeah it was uh People love it. People love this movie. And they think they love it for different reasons. Like there are, you know, not your hardcore cinephiles who, you know, really liked it for the popcorn movie effect and um, didn't have to really think too hard about it. Other people love it for kind of comedic value, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think I've come around on, on board with that after having disliked it for so long and just... You know, I, w- I was very anti-Twister because it was there's just no there's no real substance to latch on to. It's just all, you know, it, it's all um, the fluff, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a bad thing. But um, I had a problem with it for a long time. Mm. Well, I'm glad you, you've come that's around. Not, I'm glad you've come around. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we all have our preferences uh, and our tastes change too, but then also it's like you appreciate things for different reasons and I don't know. And you only have so much bandwidth to give out to, to mm -hmm. all these things that we consume and all that. So it's like, it's easier to like put these things in a box sometimes and be like, Oh, those cheesy effect movies. And it's just like, okay, like I I've seen enough. I don't need to see anymore. I'm done. Like, and you just sort of, you lose that individual appreciation for certain things and then you know time goes by and then you're like well or and you pop one in and you see and you're like oh yeah you know what this is actually this this is hitting me in the right spot right now this is this isn't mm-hmm. as bad as i i did as it like seemed when i lumped them all together um but that's you know that's sort of what we do we don't have like the time to like have a complete thorough breakdown of why something is good or bad or why we like it or not and and then apply that to a thousand movies and TV shows <laughs> and, and, and yeah. musical artists and podcasts. Um, it's, you know, so we have to take our own like little shortcuts to get to, to places. So, uh, I can see how it, you know, it changed these movies change for us over time. I think all movies do that really. I mean, there, there mm-hmm. have been movies that I've loved and years go by and I watch it and, uh, not so much. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it really can change with what's going on with you personally and what's going on in the world and your age and your view on, on life and, mm-hmm. and how that changes your view on cinema is going to change as well. And, and it's okay to like accept that Yeah. <laughs> with everything, with how heavy the world is right now this year and 
who knows how much longer it's going to be like that. I, I appreciate a movie like this now. I'll take Twister any any day of the week just mm. to, you know, take my mind off of it and take me out take me out of this this realm and and bring me to a, a, a different place and I think you know not comparing this with Marvel but uh, Marvel's been so good about creating a whole environment and a world that you can just submerge yourself into not that this is anything you know that thorough but you know for two hours uh, yeah I can just shut everything off and and run around with Bill Paxton I would love to do that <laughs> right. I mean, I think we all would. Um, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. It's 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 funny. Like, you know, I think this movie coming out to a, like exactly at the ages we were like, you know, there's a, a certain point where you're when you're a kid and you're not like a little kid anymore, but you're just like you're not quite a teen and you watch movies that are very friendly to you. And maybe they're like a film franchise or whatever. And you see the first one, you love it. And you're like into another one that comes out and then it's like the third one rolls around and now you're a little bit older and you you like want to stay with it because like well this was part of my childhood or whatever or part of this era of my life and then you're like a, a, you're an older person an older kid and you're like oh, I've moved on from this and like suddenly this thing that I loved actually might the whole was the whole thing bad you know like you start questioning like mm-hmm. your your own taste I mean so then this comes in when we're older teens i mean i saw it again when i was in in 2001 but i you know i saw a lot of those blockbusters and like so you kind of like have an appreciation for something and and for all that stuff and then you got like you got your education on like filmmaking and real films and you're like you probably started questioning everything you liked and like in terms of like oh yeah like oh what the hell was i thinking how and then you just like i said you you put it in a box and then like it stays there um, it's, it's a fascinating way we like evolve through our, our tastes, uh, as we are in different eras of our lives. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, 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 totally agree with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on this one. I was, I was way, su- way more surprised at how much I enjoyed it from start to finish, uh, than I was like, I thought I'd like it. Okay. Like, you know, I, I hadn't seen it in mm-hmm. years, but. Um, it, I, it kind of, it kind of keeps you hooked. I mean, I think you, you had a lot of talent behind the scenes that understand how to craft the beats of that story and get the right set pieces and just keep the audience like give an ebb and flow for the intensity and the calm. And it, I think it's like, you got, you got, you got a lot of talent there to, to keep a viewer like interested and okay with what they're seeing. I think. A lesser yeah. lesser filmmakers could not have done as good of a job with this, I think. Yeah, and obviously, so much is uh, what well, we'll talk about the you know the amount of CGI in this movie, and so much energy is put into the technical side. It's unfortunate that the you know the part of the movie that's lacking is the maybe the story is weak and the dialogue for your amazing cast is uh, is not really uh, at a level with their talent yeah. Um, but uh, yeah I, I was again I was I was the same as you I was just surprised when I watched it like I'm not hating this movie right now <laughs> I have disliked it for so long that and it's been 
I mean, I watched it. My parents owned it on Laserdisc, so I had, you know, I'd seen it a few times. I think I saw it in a hotel or parts of it in a hotel a few years ago and was like, ugh. And uh, I think it was colored for me because of, of that summer of, of watching, you know, Deer Hunter pretty quickly after it. Like, how could, <laughs> how could I go back to Twister after loving these 70s movies so much? Yeah, well, we have to, we, we sort of equate like, oh, well, I, I like this. But this this other thing is actually I like it too, but it's actually objectively good in a sense. So it it actually like lessens the value of everything else. You know, it's like unfairly, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, how yeah, can I go yeah. back? It's an insult to film. Like I I, right, I, I right. can't I can't love this and also enjoy this. And yeah, we, we and as we're you know we do that as young people and as you know consumers of art and things of that nature. So it's like, that's completely understandable. So I think, I think, you know, we're older now. I think we're softening. <laughs> we got- yeah, could be. You and I go back and forth about, you know, our, we have various opinions on, especially things like action movies where, you know, I can love the canon films of the, of the eighties, but not like modern action. And it's, it, it, and, and you're kind of vice versa, yeah. but it, it's, you know, I, I think I'm, a movie like this really reminded me that it's like you you're you have the right to like or dislike any movie for whatever reason um it's it's how the movie makes you feel that's ultimately what it's what's trying to do yeah i mean i think that's the core thing like we discuss the, these artistic works on their merits and the talent involved and if, if things are good but i i at the core of it and it's because it's art it's just supposed to be evocative and if it's hitting you at an emotional level that you enjoy whether it's just pure like joyous escapism fun thrill rides like what's wrong with that i mean you know we and i think we tend to forget it and i think when we start having we start weighing too much on our opinions and i know i've done it it's like well like what you like like why it's almost like why are we even talking about it in this way you know Um, right you know, and when you're younger and you're establishing an identity about like what's good and all that, and like, well, I like this thing that's good, so that tells that informs you a lot about me, you know, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, then, and then that changes as you like start to understand there is just so much um, that it's uh, there's no reason there's it's nice to discuss the art and all of that and the the its value and contribution to society um at really at the end of the day we we really have to remind each other and ourselves like like what you like man <laughs> just do your thing yeah and don't apologize for it i mean if you're if you're having a bad day and you want to come home and shut everything out and put on a movie that's gonna that's gonna that makes you feel better and and you know come back around and lighten the load a little bit and if twister is that movie that's great more power to you that's yeah. that's fine yeah. Um, <laughs> college me, college me had a very different opinion and was probably super annoying about it. <laughs> well, I get it. And you'd be like, uh, why would you watch Dumb and Dumber when you can watch The Shining again? What the hell? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Well, that's the thing with a lot of that's the thing with a lot of those art. You know, the, the more artistic films, and um, you have to work harder. And and there are times where you know you don't want to work as hard. You just want to relax. And and it's Twister is one of those movies that always comes to my mind uh, as this kind of example. 
It's, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, because it's so strong at that. It's, it's like, we are, this is escapism. This is what it is. It's not anything beyond that. It's, a, it's some really solid technical achievements and then adventure escapism. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I think was what's refreshing to me to watch this now is that there's no there's no real villains. There's no like cops. No, I mean, Carrie Carrie Elwes is an asshole, but he's not like a villain. Yeah, he's not trying to kill them or, you know, he's he's just trying to win. Like it's a like it's a race, you know, kind of thing. So it's about it's just about people following their passions for and, and trying to do the best they can. And I just like that. There's no, like there's no aliens, there's no guns, there's no violence, like, like people violence, you know? Uh, and it, it's just a lot of fun. It's actually, it was so refreshing to, cause we cover a lot of con like any movies got conflict, but the big conflict is, is literally man versus nature. And of course, you know, you've got your, 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 love story B plot, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, which just helps you root for them as people like, you know, but, sure. uh, you know, so there's not, there's nice color to the characters you get to spend time with. Um, but I, I like that this wasn't really about heroes and, and good guys and bad guys, which I think that that's a lot of films, you know, that I think a lot of the films we cover, but a lot of the, a lot of the people we cover are live in the, the moral gray area. And um, which is that's that's a fun, fascinating like exploration. I think it's it's absolutely like worth doing because you can't really doing white hats and black hat cowboys isn't really interesting. It's just good guys and bad guys. So we always I think we always touch on films where there's there's a lot of like um, a lot of a lot of gray area and a lot of uh, you know ex- exploration. And this is just sort of like mm-hmm. this is just straight up disaster film that can you are they gonna survive let's just have fun with it i i would just i really yeah. enjoyed this like <laughs> i think i think yeah because well, it's let, so let's, different. <laughs> let's come back to the you know disaster film element of it when we kind of towards the end but sure. uh, let's talk a little bit about just to shift gears let's talk a little bit about the you know how this where this movie came from and how it came to be uh, it was uh, this was a project that was originally pitched to Amblin Entertainment, which is Steven Spielberg's company, mm-hmm. uh, and way back in 1992, it was a uh, it was a ten page treatment by a screenwriter named Jeffrey Hilton. Um, so you know he pitched it. I think Spielberg saw saw something in the idea. Obviously, it was it was a not a fully formulated story yet. So. Um, you know, took the idea and uh, he turned to the people he were he was working with at the time as he's prepping Jurassic Park. Uh, he turns to Michael Crichton and his wife Anne Marie Anne Marie Martin and uh, hires them to give it a really you know turn this idea. Let's make a script out of it and see where we can go with it. Um, so I, I think you can kind of feel the Michael Crichton formula here. It would. Mm. Uh, this script would drift through a, a number of different writers, but I think at at its core, I think you can feel the Crichtonness of it. Yeah, I could I could agree with that. It's yes, it's it's a heavy Crichton. <laughs> it's heavy Crichton. Yeah, I mean the 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 tornado is the T Rex, and mm-hmm. you know they're like a version of 
of uh, Sam Neill and and um, Laura Dern from Jurassic Park. It's it's very similar concepts and yeah. similar looking characters. Yeah, and it's 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 about big, larger than life things happening and and how passionate people are interacting with those larger than life things <laughs> and what goes wrong what can go wrong <laughs> <laughs> so after they uh you know they get the script together they sell it to uh another co-production which we talked about uh also back in our i believe our towering inferno episode we we spoke about how you know, to make a movie of this scale takes quite a financial commitment. And sometimes one studio is not willing to foot the whole bill. So it was split up between Warner Brothers and Universal. Warner Brothers covered the domestic and Universal covered the international. Mm-hmm. Um, so any of the home video stuff, a lot of what we saw here was was the Warner Brothers, uh, you know, name on the on the posters and all the artwork and everything. But um, so they uh, agree to make the... Uh, Agree to make the film, and it's got a budget of eighty-eight million dollars. So already, Ooh. like, just a massive. And again, it's got Spielberg's name on it. Yep. So this, you know, is reaping the effects of Jurassic Park because while this is being written and in early, early pre-production, Jurassic Park is hitting and is a massive hit. So this is looked at as as a as a follow-up, you know, to that same kind of movie, that event. Uh, summer movie oh for sure this is this is yeah pumped he, he primed the pumps with jurassic park <laughs> <laughs> that's all he did he just <laughs> jurassic park was just prep for twister yeah <laughs> yeah like, but the, the big thing i really want to do is a tornado movie <laughs> <laughs> um he brings in uh throughout uh 1994 and early 95 uh, he brings in jo- Joss Whedon comes in and does a rewrite. One of, one of your favorite uh, guys, right? Sure. You love Joss. I'm a, I'm a Joss fan, absolutely. I like this. Joss story. did did he do the first two Avengers movies? He directed the first two Avengers movies. That's correct. Okay, I couldn't remember if he did the second one or not. And then he kind of stepped out of Marvel, right? Yeah, he and he created the Agents of Shield show, which is like sort of a, a complimentary show to the Avengers. Um, which is in its final season now, where it might be ending by the time we air. I don't know, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah he. So he was sort of like the the Marvel guy for like two three years, and then I think his he is not uh, involved any longer. But he had yeah. he had written a lot well, of their comic. He had written a bunch of comic books for them as well. As of course he's known yeah. for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie and the which he wrote only, and then created the TV show, developed that. Uh, other shows, uh, the Angel spinoff, uh, 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 and also Firefly. So you know, big sci-fi, big name. This was this was right when he, right before he kind of became a big deal in Hollywood. So one of well, his- he was yeah. Ninety five was a big year for him because that was Buffy. That was um, you know he did a, a did a version of this. I mean, his name's not on the credits, but he did a big rewrite for this uh, and he did toy story also didn't he yeah i mean he was a script doctor for a number of years on, on lots of different things uncredited so i mean he, he was a mm-hmm. he was well known and had relationships throughout through through the town so yeah you know just the, the fact that his name even shows up in the credits was like oh okay so he actually he probably had a lot more going on on this than he did like a lot of his other projects so 
Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, he's he's not like the main force of, of why this movie is what it is. But no, um, no, no. But he it's like it's going through stages. It's got the, the Crichton pass and then the Joss Whedon pass. And then Steve Zalian, another big screenwriter, comes in and oh does another pass at it. And yeah. so it's getting kind of fleshed out and cleaned up. And it's unclear, like what ideas are formulating and going away and what's new ideas that are being brought in. It's funny because you have all these major screenwriters working on this and it's you know, the final product is not that great of a, you know, the dialogue is not amazing. And it's just, it's pretty like on the surface story um, for the most part. Uh, Jeff Nathanson is another writer who comes in, which who, who actually is doing rewrites while they're in production. So, you know, he, he would be the guy, I don't know if he was on set, but that, you know, they were turning to for rewrites while, while it was in production. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. They, uh, as far as directors go, uh, they picked up Jan de Bont, who was uh, you're familiar with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You love Jan de Bont, big uh, big Jan fan. I'm a Jan fan. I, I love I love speed, um, <laughs> or as they call it in France, speed. Um, that's an, an Eddie Izzard joke that I do like. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's. I forgot he directed this actually. So when he, when his name popped up, I was like, "Oh yeah, all right, great, here we go." <laughs> yeah, and this is at a you know he was a big god. He was probably one of the biggest cinematographers in in Hollywood throughout the like late '80s and early '90s. And uh, he had started in the Netherlands as a cinematographer, where he first connected with Paul Verhoeven way back in the '70s, the late mm-hmm. '70s and early '80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes to America. He's th- listen to this. I'm just going to run down some of his films as a DP. Cujo, All the Right Moves, Flesh and Blood, Jewel of the Nile, Ruthless People, Who's That Girl, Die Hard, which is really where he mm-hmm. kind of steps up to another level, mm-hmm. Black Rain with Ridley Scott, Hunt for Red October, Flatliners, Lethal Weapon 3, and then reuniting with Paul Verhoeven on Basic Instinct. Uh, so he's probably, you know, on the top handful of cinematographers in the business yeah Uh, those are all big movies big money makers um with you know significant looks to each of them a visual style and and i think he was a really excellent cinematographer but of course you know like a lot of dps when they get to a certain level like they're going to want their shot at directing Mm -hmm. so he ends up uh i think fox kind of takes a chance with him Uh, as directorial debut is of course speed speed which is a is the, is speed a top top three munch movie? <laughs> Back in '96, it probably was. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen speed in a long time, but I I yeah. I, we'll I, cover we'll cover speed. I'm sure I'll have some, <laughs> some nice things to say on the show about speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Speed is a, is a huge hit in the summer of 94, I think kind of unexpectedly. Uh, you know, it was, I think they were hoping it would do well, but it was a massive hit. Yeah. Yeah, people people um, wanted Speed. Keanu became a superstar after that. I mean, he was, he was already well-known in the business, but that was it. This was his huge breakout role, I would say. Yeah, it was, in a, in a way, it was like point break kind of like, set the stage for speed and then speed, you know, he shows he can be a leading action star. And then that led to, you know, other big movies, Johnny Mnemonic and then, and then, uh, and then the matrix eventually. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, uh, that's the thing. The, the talent attached to this to this movie, uh, with all these screenwriters, huge. Spielberg, Jan de Bont. I mean, this is this is huge. And and with that budget, forget about it. This has got to work, yeah. right? Well, and then Jan is originally after Speed, he signs on to do Godzilla, which would would be the same version that came out, and I think was at ninety eight, the Roland Emmerich uh, version. Yeah, um, but he was the original director attached to that, and had a, a falling out with the studio over the budget, and mm-hmm. walks away from the project, and then very quickly signs on to do Twister. So you know he's not out of work long, and and still trying to ride that wave from from Speed. Um, mm. And it's funny because looking at Jan de Bont's career as a director, it's really like not he didn't make it that long. He had some big movies. And then I think the last major movie directed was was it the Lara Croft uh, sequel? Yeah, I think so. What are, yeah, the, the one in early 2000s or something. Right. Um, but that was yeah, a, yeah. Cradle of Life. Yeah. So yeah, three. So, not but, a fan. But for for. Yeah, it looks like he's five directed five director credits speed twister speed Two, the haunting which isn't bad uh (laughs) in 99 and then lara croft tomb raider cradle of life so but he i mean but he's just been he's been a then i think he like sort of disappeared but then now he's back doing he's more dping over in um in the netherlands i think Right? Well, yeah, it's the same kind of similar to Paul Verhoeven, who had this you know massive career as a dire- director with huge movies here, and then just kind of stops and disappears. And I don't, I don't know why. You know, maybe maybe they, these guys made enough money that you know it's hard. It's hard making these movies. These are long hours and months after month. You know, of, of big commitments, and then all the publicity of it. It, it takes a lot out of you. And yeah. I don't think. Um, you know, some people love it and can do it over and over and over and over. And then other people, I think you get to a point where like, you know what, I'm I'm good on the money. I've got these hit movies. I'm going to make money off of those for the rest of my life. Right. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go be Thanos and get a cabin somewhere in the countryside. Yeah, you don't, you know, it, it, it wasn't his life's desire to be a giant, like, Hollywood director, producer, or whatever. It's like he... He only dipped his toe into it, it seems like, and then got these big chances. And you know, I think yeah, it's got to be either. I'm sure if he pushed hard enough and and played the game, he could have been still directing whatever, uh, like a lot of big movies, you know, throughout. Um, I mean, I, I understand those opportunities disappear depending on how well your films do, but I mean, uh, it's it's sometimes you just gotta like say like yeah this was a thing I did and now I'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go do what I want I don't I don't need yeah. this BS <laughs> Hollywood, Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood can break you <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah and, and age you very hard yeah so. <laughs> very quickly yeah uh, yeah so you know so we've got our director we've got our, our script is going uh, they're you know prepping all of the how they're technically gonna make the movie and. Of course, it's time to start focusing on the cast. And uh, there are some major names attached to uh, that they were going after for for the Bill character. Um, you know, they wanted I think Tom Hanks was originally attached to do it, which uh, wow. it's funny because a lot of these names would end up doing movies with co-starring with Helen Hunt uh, years later. Hmm. Like who? Uh Tom Hanks, so mm-hmm. cast away there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Kurt Russell, oh. our our boy, uh, the man that we love, uh, was uh, up for this role. I could picture both of them in, in this kind of movie. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. They'd be I a... mean, maybe maybe Kurt more than Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because Kurt, Kurt, uh, Kurt's a little more action-friendly, and I could see him running around and jumping off of things and flying around uh, a little bit more than I could see Tom Hanks doing it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, at this time, Tom's doing... You know what he's done: Philadelphia and Forrest Gump and Apollo thirteen and um, what did he do? I'm trying to remember what he came out with in '96. Hmm. You've got mail, maybe but that was be, later. It could be you got mail. Let me. No, you got mail was like '99, I think. So. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll take a peek at uh, Tom Hanks here. But um, yeah, but uh, but Kurt is still doing you know action movies and and I, I could have definitely seen him in this role. Uh, Michael Keaton's another one that. Um, uh, was up for this, who was, I think at this point, his career was kind of like winding, not winding down, because obviously he's in a new wave of his career, but that, that first portion was was starting to slow down. I, I think he would have Multiplicity came out the summer of 96, but, um, you know, he didn't have a lot of hits in, in between like Batman and Return, Batman Returns and Multiplicity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they, they end up going with, uh, I think, Hanks and James Cameron, both in you know some behind-the-scenes discussions, recommend Bill Paxton for the role, uh, who they really, really liked. He's got, that, he's got that southern charm, that handsome, you know, leading at this point. You know, I think he's uh, developed into those, that leading man kind of look. Uh, he just hadn't really had a shot. Uh, Bill, like we covered on our other episodes, was so great at some of these supporting roles and some of them heavier than others uh so he's just coming off of uh let's say he's coming off of true lies which was a big step in the comedy direction for him so so he's starting to show a lot of range yeah uh, from you know doing movies like aliens and near dark and one false move and true lies it's like you're kind of all over the place there um he did a western with rob lowe called frank and jesse uh, about the James gang and then of course Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks and then they they became friends uh, for years uh, you know they were they, they worked together on and off uh, for years and years but starting mm-hmm. with Apollo 13 yeah yeah uh, so this was his shot at, at being that leading man and uh, you know it was a lot of pressure on Bill to see if he could kind of rise to the occasion mm. I think he did I think he, I think he rose yeah I think uh I think he was a good fit, and he also wasn't too much personality for the movie. Whereas, you know, if you put, I don't know, if you put a Mel Gibson or a Harrison Ford in this movie, yeah, I think their star power would kind of distra- distract from what they wanted. The focus was on the action, the excitement, the effects, the tornado. Yeah, you know, and you have a a major star like that, even like a Tom Cruise, like it would have just drawn the attention away from that stuff. And it would have been, I don't know, just wouldn't have been as, as, uh, evened out. If Bill has to be the straightest straight man of it, you know, and his biggest conflict <laughs> is like with, with his fiance and with Joe who Helen Hunt played. Um, but you know, yeah, if you had someone with like attitude in there, like a Harrison Ford, um, or a Kurt Russell, honestly. I mean, Kurt, of course, would n- knock it out of the park. 
but it's a right. different it's a different movie, different tone. So you, Bill can play play it so straight and so I don't know so well um, with enough of his charm to like without having to like kind of be little little char like. How am I trying to say? He doesn't have to try to exude any charm. He just is this charming, like Texas guy. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, um, naturally. Yeah. I mean, versus, like, he also, you know, go ahead. Versus, like, the attitude that can kind of come off, like, with a, with a wry grin or you know, a flippant attitude that you might get out of some other guys. I mean, who knows? I'm sure mm-hmm. Harrison. I'm sure Harrison Ford can play it pretty straight too. He does, but you know, it's Harrison Ford. Sure, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but he also, like, Bill, especially at this time, like, didn't have that movie star aura that those other guys had. That, um, you know, he has that everyman look. That's what worked so well for him in so many of his roles. That yeah. he it, it just lent an air of believability to it that didn't, you know, scream at you like, this is, this is, a, this is an actor in a movie. This is a movie star. Right, right. Like, he felt like a real guy. He was always really good at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then complimenting him, they actually wanted uh, Laura Dern for this role, oh. which I think was wise of her not to do it because she really, if she had done Jurassic Park and Twister and playing very similar characters, mm-hmm. uh, she might not have, uh, you know, her career is in such a great place now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she would have been able to get there having done that. Yeah. I mean, I, the parts have to be interesting, you know, like I, like it's, for her, it could be like I, I literally just played this part. <laughs> like, I don't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so right. I could I could see maybe if, if, if her not having a lot of interest um, or not fighting for it. You know, um, yeah, I think that's that was a wise move. You're right, but Helen Hunt is is the perfect choice if you're going for a Lauren Dern type. You go. Yeah, I mean, Helen Hunt's coming from a totally different place in her career than than uh, Laura Dern was at. Yeah. Uh, she's got what she was a big TV actress. She'd been all over TV for years and some smaller roles in, in films. She was in Bob Roberts. Of course she was in mad about you, which was in season. I want to say season four, I think when they were filming this movie, uh, probably 92, it started in 92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 92. Yeah. So somewhere around season four, uh, she was in uh, Kiss of Death. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I actually I really like that movie, the Nicolas Cage, David Caruso movie. Oh, uh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. That'd be a good one to kind of look back at. It's another forgotten movie of the 90s with some major actors right before they became super huge. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll take a look at that at some point. But she's she's excellent in that movie, and I think she's really looking to break into a, another level for for features and why not do the big blockbuster action movie it's good you know if you can avoid just doing those over and over and over it's good financially to do it you know again you can make money off residuals of this for the rest of your life so you know i don't always give people a hard time for for doing a big budget you know more fluff popcorn kind of action movie yeah uh, so that they can do you know, we talked about on our Rushmore episode, we talked about Owen Wilson doing, you know, Anaconda and Cable Guy and a couple other movies so he could make some money so he could help finance Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, yeah. you, 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 you know, you see it with like a Ju- Julianne Moore will do that, you know, do these big budget movies and then she'll do like 10 
more artistic, really excellent lower budget movies because she can afford to do it. Yeah. That was the same thing with Clooney, right? He he. Well, he does. I think he just does commercial. He'll do Nespresso Nespresso commercials, so he can do cheap. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he can do like the the indie movies and stuff. That's what he. I think right. He said. Right. Like, they're like, why are you? Why are you the spokesperson for Nespresso? He's like, so I can make all the movies I want. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, just like that's perfect. If they'll pay him millions for a little bit of work, um, but that's you yeah, know that's yeah. that's one of the the great things about having having at least some star power in Hollywood you can kind of craft your own trajectory and like and Mm -hmm. especially if you're really focused on like a variety of projects or you know not repeating the same kind of notes I mean there's nothing wrong with that as as a career choice but yeah the the, this was a this was a great great choice for Helen Hunt Um, and then she would win the Oscar like a year later for as good as it gets right I mean exactly yeah which and 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 she won the Emmy that year, <laughs> so she was like, it was a huge. Ellen Hunt was like the biggest deal, like with it, yeah. Ninety six, ninety seven were very very kind to Helen Hunt. Yeah, yeah, she's great. You know, Mad About You with our with our good friend Paul Reiser, mm-hmm. uh, who we also talked a little bit about on our Aliens episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, um, you know, it was a great show. It was a good compliment to. You know, was it was it that um, Thursday night lineup, that Thursday night comedy block? Wasn't it within that? It might have been for a little bit, but then I think they were. On, I think they they moved around the schedule a lot, so I think it was like a Tuesday night yeah. staple for a minute, and then Sundays. Um, it, it it kind of just filled in gaps, like it always had its audience follow it. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I think yeah, it wasn't. It may have been part of Thursday night at some point, but not for long. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like Seinfeld, Friends, and then I think the other shows were did kind of like rotate around. Yeah, yeah. For a, for a while, that's yeah. It was the eight o'clock and the yeah. nine o'clock shows were the big shows. Anything at eight thirty and nine thirty right. were, yeah, kind of disposable in a sense. They might run for a number yeah. of years, but no one, no one's talking about Caroline in the city anymore, and I don't know why. <laughs> Unfortunately, not. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I mean, but the rest of the cast in this movie, God, you've got great actors in it all, all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's so funny to like, look, and even some of the background, not even background, they're not background, they're actors, but they are almost treated like background. They, some of them like Jake Busey's in this movie doesn't have any dialogue. He's yeah. just one of Carrie Elwes's guys. Yep. Um, uh, who's the big guy who was on, uh, part was a Parker. Not Parker Lewis. He was on. He was on Parker Lewis. Oh God, Abraham Ben Ruby. Parker Lewis. Yeah, Parker Lewis can't lose. Yeah, the, the big guy. Yeah, Abraham Ben Ruby, who would later yeah. be on a lot of recurring episodes of ER. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in it. Uh, Anthony Rapp is in this movie apparently, and I, I recognize his. Is he? He he he. His voice comes over the radio late in the movie. Um. And I, he may have been in like the very first scene where we saw Carrie Elwes, but I don't. Th- I think they cut around him. Like I don't think he even he might be part of the gang, but he's not. Mm-hmm. He's, they don't focus on him or anything. So, but yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's he's in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and uh, Zach Grenier, who was in, uh, so we talked about just briefly for a second, and Tommy Boy, he's got a role in that, and and he's kind of. Carrie Elwes's driver, but mm-hmm. Carrie Elwes himself. I mean, yeah, big fans of him. Carrie Elwes. Uh, 
with sporting just the worst accent a human being <laughs> can sport. Why? Why don't they just? Why do they have to give him a bad like Texas accent? Like he couldn't do. It's so it's such a shame. I, you know, the, I I don't know. Clearly, you know, they have a whole Southern thing going on. I think originally that they wanted to do this in in Texas, but they sh- they ended up shooting in all over Oklahoma and parts of the movie in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they did have a like a Southern vibe and feeling going on for sure in this. Yeah, and I guess I guess if he spoke as he normally does, he'd just come off like one of the villains in Star Wars. Like <laughs> he's just like, mm-hmm. oh, the British elite guy. <laughs> um, but uh, we we love him, and uh, you know, I think this was kind of after Twister. We kind of didn't see Carrie for a while. I, I remember a long gap where he was not in a lot of big movies uh, until Saw came out, which wasn't a big. It wasn't a big budget movie but it was huge when it got released yeah that 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 was making a lot of noise i mean i think i think he let's see he showed up in a lot of stuff though i mean he just wasn't like a big yeah, liar liar yeah, but kiss the girls you know uh, right and then yeah i think yeah but he was playing more supporting roles and yeah. and that leading man you know again that leading man status after robin hood men in tights kind of started eluding him yeah um, well, yeah, that's 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 what we're looking at. But he's back. He's back. He's in stuff now. We see him all yep. the time. Stranger Things, right? Stranger Things. He did some Mrs. Maisels recently. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Pass. <laughs> hard pass. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, a lot of TV last uh, last five, ten years. Um, he just, you know, he's a working actor. He's he's. Yep, yep. He's, he's around. Those guys. Uh, what about Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah, this is this is like right before he became Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? I mean, this is a thin yeah. Well, couple years. Yeah, this is a this is this is like that one really big. I like I you know he's he's also passed on now, but uh, mm-hmm. which is very tragic. But I wonder if he how he looks on Twister, other than <laughs> you know putting some money in his pocket. Um, his character, it dust, Dusty, right? Dusty, yeah. Is very, very over the top, in your face, mm-hmm. kind of annoying. Yeah, he's so colorful and wild and unpredictable and devil with his devil and all that like attitude. Yeah, and his dialogue, all those like catch the catch phrases and stuff that it's just. <laughs> It's way too much. Eminent ruage. Eminent ruage, man. They're going to rue the day. <laughs> Eminent yeah. ruage. Oh, boy. But, but <clears throat> yeah, this was like, right. You know, he had been acting. Um, for a while. You know, yeah. in, for a while before this. And oh, yeah. uh, I remember seeing him in, in, I think it was The Getaway that he's in. Yeah. Uh, just before this, and which which I, I like the remake, okay. Um, but he's in a number of movies. and But this was like. You know, I think got him in uh, in front of the most amount of eyes. Yeah, this was a this was a his widest audience he's probably ever, had ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was in Boogie Nights the next year, and then Lebowski the year after that, and he just kept and he, yeah, and, kept, well, and steadily working with projects in between. I mean, he was, he was yeah, he he had a he started by by the late nineties. He's starting to create a massive body of work of all really solid. 
movies with big, you know, either independent directors or just not blockbuster films. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you can go on and on and on. All his P.T. Anderson films and Magnolia, talented Mr. Ripley, and and like you said, Lebowski, and uh, and I think it's really when he does uh, Flawless that really started to put him on the awards you know, the Oscar and Golden Globe kind of radar. And, and it just built after that, yeah. um, you know, State and Maine and Red Dragon, which I have issues with. But and then Capote is finally when he wins Best Actor. And then he's he's a major, you know, major star by that point. So yeah. but he had just created a really solid body of work, uh, you know, throughout the, the late 90s. And uh, but this was kind of right before that. So. Yeah, uh, he just was for a little while. He was just this over the top, like, oh, that guy, that guy from Twister. No yeah. thanks. <laughs> uh, he definitely ha- makes a mule. <laughs> he definitely has fun with whatever role he's in, though. I mean, he's committed <laughs> fully. So, um, yeah, you know, and we got to see him in so many great dramatic parts. Um, but he, he still, he, he still had a comedic charm um, on, a, on the occasional thing. So it was always fun. Uh, that whatever he was doing, it was always something different. You hadn't seen him do it before. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's one of those mm-hmm. guys, he wasn't going to play the same type of part. So, uh, yeah. 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 And there's a nice two shot of, of Bill and Philip together. That's just the two of them that I just, I got a little sad seeing that. It's like uh, both these guys, man, they're, yeah. they're both gone and had so much more that they, they could have done. It was it, like, I w- it was really going to be interesting to see where their careers went had they uh, had they not passed when they did, but mm-hmm. but you know what, they're here. They're on. They're in Twister together, and we we've got that gift. Sure, so. we sure do. We ha- we can and we can go back to it anytime we want. Yeah, uh, it's always good to see Jamie Gertz on the screen. She's fantastic. Yeah, Jamie um, Gertz. Alan now Hawk? her character here is yet another like oh, kind terrible. of one note character. <laughs> Terribly <laughs> written character. Oh, so bad. I was so, I was so upset and, for her. <laughs> yeah, she's just like I don't know, kind of. Pine- I, I mean, her character makes sense, but it's also like I don't know how many women would go along with their fiance to you know get him to finalize his divorce like physically together. It's a little awkward. Um, you know, she's just there to be like the audience's, uh, you know, through line to the movie and to react on their behalf. Yeah. She asks a bunch of questions and she's confused by everything and they, they have to dumb it all down for her just so we can understand what's going on. Um, yeah. And they stick her with Philip Seymour Hoffman just for the, so he can tell her what's going on yeah. slash tell the audience what's going on. Yeah. Well, cause this movie is so techno jargon, techno babble heavy at times which apparently it's all very accurate in terms of what they're actually describing and what's going on but there it's it's throughout i mean we're so we're watching these like you know professionals uh use the jargon they would in their situation so it's kind of mm-hmm. funny it's like it, but it's like watching a sci-fi movie where they're you know we gotta we gotta realign the deflector array <laughs> like you know yeah. just like okay ev- every scene had that like new new terminology that you just had to yeah. trust that they knew what they're talking about because they've already dumbed it down. So, yeah. So thank goodness Jamie Gertz was in it. Um, I'm glad at least she she got to leave with dignity and she like got to be the one to like make the choice to leave, <laughs> you know, and everything. Yeah. Because she's yeah, like, yeah. they're you can almost sense like the 
the eye rolls from everyone who knows what they're talking about whenever she asks a question. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, so I was like, Ugh, don't annoy us with your questions, newbie. Yeah. Kind of thing. So. Well, it, it, it gets to the point where in the story where like the audience has the information now. So yeah. if you're not going to kill her off, like she needs to go away. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, at least she got to leave with, with dignity and she breaks up with Bill and moves on. But yeah. Um, she's really funny. Uh, she has a lot more comedic talent than people realize. And it would have been interesting if, if they had actually approached the comedy angle a little bit more on this one, I wonder, I wonder what they could have done or if, you know, she could have done more with that character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course we see uh, a lot of familiar faces amongst, uh, uh, Bill and Helen's team. Yeah. Um, there's Todd Field, who uh, would was uh, also appear in Eyes Wide Shut and became a big director uh, after that. Uh, who else? Alan Ruck Alan from Ruck. Alan Ruck. Ferris Come Bueller. on, he must be a Jan DeBont guy because he was in Speed also. Speed. Oh, that's right, he was in Speed. He was on the bus. <laughs> He's on the bus. He's on the bus. Uh, yeah, uh, Sean Whalen, one of the guys played Alan. I think. Yep. Who's was he like? I always remember that guy from the Got Milk commercials. I think that's like his most notable thing, right? I feel like we covered a movie that he was. He's also in though. <laughs> I have to check his check his listing. I Probably think. he was he was everywhere in the nineties. Yeah, just like oh, the Got Milk guy. There he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to check. I feel like there's a project where he's just. Uh, if I find it, I'll I'll let you know. But. Um, yeah, he's good. And the guy from Police Academy too. What was his? Uh, oh, what was his name? Ooh, he's one of the like kind of villain cops in Police Academy. Oh. Um, I'm gonna look it up while we're talking about it. Was it was it Joey Slotnick or no? No. While I'm looking though, all these guys like their dialogue. Um, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> Their reaction dialogue is really kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really it's really silly. <laughs> For those who are going to watch Twister again, just listen to their uh, back and forth when we're, you know, Bill and and uh, or Bill and and Joe like just come out of something like they're it's just it's just really uh, amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Scott Thompson, that's his name. Oh, Scott he Thompson. was in. Yeah, several of the police academy movies as one of the kind of bumbling, uh, vil- you know, villain cops. Oh, I didn't realize that. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't really recognize. Uh, that. Jeremy Davies. Uh, this is prior to your big Jeremy Davies fan, right? He was on your favorite show. Uh, he's on my new favorite show. What's my, my new favorite show? N- not your new favorite. Your all-time favorite, Lost. Oh, well, that's right. Yes, he was. He, he showed up in. Season three of Lost, or four, mm-hmm. and then uh, continued his presence there. But this was was he in Band of Brothers like right after this? Or no, he was in he was in Saving Private Ryan Saving Private uh, pretty Ryan. quickly after this. Okay, yeah, so mm-hmm. that. But this was a uh, kind of prior to that. Um, Joey Slotnick, who was all over t- like multiple TV shows in the mid '90s, so he was at the, especially at the time a very familiar face. Yeah, uh, I don't know what he's up to now. I don't think I've seen him in quite some time but mm. uh and then you've got lois smith as uh as joe's aunt meg welcome back to the show lois yeah 
We Lois have. was in our uh, Five Easy Pieces episode way back in year one. So if you haven't uh, checked that one out, but Plus great might. character actress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she uh, she also made an appearance in Midnight Run, which we also covered on the show. That's right. That's right. That was very early, early in our uh, in our show's life. Yeah. So Lois has always been a presence for us here at the show, and uh, yeah, great to see her as Aunt Meg, letting the letting the group come together like a bunch of I don't I don't want to say like there were frat boys, but it is sort of like this. It's <laughs> just, just kind of fratty. They're just like you know they, they oh my god they all have like this history and they're telling stories and being crude and yeah. And not crude even because they kept this very PG thirteen like, like mm-hmm. you can tell they edited out a line where she where Helen Hunt says, "Fuck man," and they but they just they don't they took the audio out like early yeah. in the movie, but, but you can see her say it. You can see her say it, <laughs> and it's in the closed captioning because I watch a lot of stuff with closed captioning, so I in case I miss stuff, um, so it's in the closed captioning, and then. Carrie Elwes' character, you know, they're like fighting and then they're being separated from the fight and and just like off camera somebody says, Oh, don't worry don't worry about him, man. He's a kiss butt. <laughs> like like instead yeah. of a yeah. an an ass kisser. He's a kiss butt. He's a, he, like it's <laughs> like why did you gotta keep it family friendly. But why wouldn't you just say anything else, like a suck up or just a a teacher's pet or just, or don't say anything at all. <laughs> like he's just a jerk. Mm-hmm. Like no yeah. one says that was his kiss, but like what the, I don't even get it. So I don't know. It's just, you, there are moments like I, and I, I'm sure we can talk, we will talk more about funny moments, but I like just these yeah. characters are attached to certain funny things of, uh, keeping, keeping it kind of, uh, four quadrant friendly, I guess I would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you got a lot of great actors in here, um, you know, just the, the quickly about the production. It's this was a hard movie to make. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of the focus was spent on uh, getting, you know, shooting things correctly so that the, um, you know, the CGI element could be put in properly. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the one thing I really appreciated about the movie, but while there's a lot, obviously a tremendous amount of, of uh, digital effects in its early days, uh, there's a lot of practical effects going on still too. Like everything around the actors and in the foreground is all real. Like like the hail was really like chunks of ice that they had specially made mm-hmm. that they were throwing at the actors all the, you know, farm equipment and stuff flying around like that was you know all the wood that's flying around them. That's all real stuff around these guys. And it's everything in the background and in the sky that is being put in digitally. Yeah. Uh, obviously the cow as well. Sure. But, uh, um, you know, these guys are getting especially Bill and, and Helen Hunt are really getting beat up on this movie. I mean, there was injuries all over the place. Um they there was an effect that they needed to shine a really bright light around the actors and it actually burned their eyes, uh, which held up filming briefly and until their retinas healed up. Oh my gosh! Uh, Helen Hunt got a concussion uh, when she's hanging out of the truck towards the end of the movie in the in the cornfield. The door like snapped back and hit her right in the head, oh. uh, so she was out of it. That scene where they're they're in the ditch holding onto the, the you know the post of that bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that there that's like dirty water so they had to get hepatitis shots after that uh it was uh there was uh, a lot of drama there was an original cinematographer on this movie who uh, for whatever reason, struggled to keep pace with uh, the, the way Jan DeBont wanted to shoot this movie. Um, there was, uh, there's two sides of the argument. You know, one of them was that Jan was all over the place and very wild, and he'd want to see one direction, and then they'd shoot the entire scene, and then he'd change his mind and want to shoot the opposite direction. And, um, you know, which I think you making these movies there's a lot of pressure on directors and and uh i think there was a couple of time mistakes that were made that they just you know went on and probably went significantly over budget just to you know fix some of that stuff and uh you know the original dp had a supposedly was having difficulties working with Jan de and they end up you know, it ends up getting physical on set and mm-hmm. and uh, that DP walks away. He's replaced by Jack Green, who ends up in like in the second or third to last day of filming is in the Aunt Meg's house, which you remember the house like collapse on itself. Yeah. As they're looking back at it. Yeah. Well, apparently he was, uh, you know, shot listing inside it when the effects guys accidentally or, you know, on a test run sunk the house with him in it oh and he got hurt (laughs) so uh jan de bond ends up having to be the dp on the last few days of filming oh my god God. he thank god he was a dp in his the first half of his career yeah well it's gotta it's gotta be tough um, it's gotta be tough for when dp turns director and then they have to have a DP on set, <laughs> like, you right. know. I mean, because you got somebody who knows how to do your job, yeah, and knows how to do it really, really well. If they're getting this director job, so if you're if you're not gelling, like that's got to be that's got to be so much pressure for the cinematographer. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's got to be. But really- I can see both sides of the argument. I think under these big these you know with these big budget movies, it can be a little. It's hard. It's hard. That's a massive scale. It's a lot of people, a lot of things to keep track of. I can see, you know, if you change your mind, it's going to have a big ripple effect with the rest of the crew. And and I think some of that was probably going on. So I think, um, you know, and of course, the director is going to want, especially like you're saying, a director who was a DP is going to have a lot of expectations of that of that person uh, and expect them to be able to know what he's thinking and keep up with him. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And not only that, they've got like, you know, jet engines on set to create the wind. I mean, they literally brought in jet engines. Oh so God. think of how much fun is with that blasting in your face all day. <laughs> and loud as hell. Like, yeah. <laughs> and just stuff. I mean, there's st- there's scenes where they're walking into the wind and looking in and stuff. And I'm like, there's got to be so much dirt just getting into their eyes right now. <laughs> like, yeah. It looks horrendous. Yeah. It looks so horrendous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they're, you know, they're actually like actively hoping to be filming in bad weather, you know, so it can mm. complement the look. That's one thing I think visually it, they did achieve that, you know, it's the movies like that overcast kind of tone. Like you can feel the tornado's presence. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're I mean, where they are in Oklahoma, the, the whole premise is that there's this like huge storm system that is producing cyclone after cyclone or tornado after tornado like in a row and it's going to be just storms and storms and storms so it's just this prevailing environment and atmosphere so yeah they're 
it's it's kind of like yeah it kind of keeps that gray kind of like oppressive feeling even though like it might be even clear sky in a sense but there or, or there's no storm but it's still like mm-hmm. an impending doom is coming like for the most right. part right you know it's coming back it's like it's kind of like the shark and jaws yeah it's like you know it's out there yeah and then it's just going to rear its head I think they had was it eight tornadoes appear in the movie of different scales. Is it eight? I mean, I think it's somewhere somewhere around eight. I thought yeah. it was five or six, but you, I mean, three little cyclones, three little ones are showing up in that one area. The one that became mm-hmm. the sisters, the two the sisters. And I think there was, a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of storms. Like they, they, it's it's kind of intense. It's a. I forgot that it is just like one after another. Like they chase on the storm and they get mm-hmm. the news after a little bit of resting and whatever. And then they're back on the road and it's a lot of yeah, they, driving. You're really not, you're not sitting for long in this movie. It's, it's, you know, really just one action kind of scene, uh, you know, leading to another with short, uh, short respite in between. And that's where you're, you know, you're weaving this very light story, uh, yeah. um, this uh, kind of romance uh, love triangle thing going on, and that's basically it. Like, you don't really get to know any of the other characters or yeah. anything about them or their lives or anything to really, other than their quote-unquote funny dialogue, yeah. um, you know, there's nothing really to attach yourself to. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I actually, I and watching this, I, I was like, Man, I think one of them, like one of the good guys, quote unquote, dies in this movie. And I'm like, I wonder which one it is. But I, and luckily that did not happen. Like, I think that would, it was only, you know, Carrie Elwes and, uh, and what's his face, uh, who perished toward the end because they made a mistake. Yeah. And the father, Richard Lineback, in the opening of oh, the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's only three deaths. Three deaths. Um, and a cow. And a cow. Cow is probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was a funny little weird moment. Um, oh my god, they forgot about that. But I, honestly, I, I was like, "Oh, who dies?" Like, and uh, for like, which would just add unnecessary drama to it. Um, you know, one of the team, one of the well, core it's ultimately a family movie. I mean, yeah. that's you know, like we were talking about before. That's it's they wanted families to feel good about coming to see this, and you know, other than the father and the opening. For, you know, to get the Joe's character, you know, where she's coming from and why she's why she's become a storm chaser. You know, what is that going to serve? It's going to be more of like a horror kind of element that you didn't really want to introduce. Yeah. And that that opening is like a horror movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Straight up, like huge tension and impending doom and uh, an an invisible, you know, killer coming for them. Um but yeah, that that yeah, the monster comes in yeah. and it gets one of you. Yeah, but that's the shortcut to like why she's obsessed. Like this could have really been she. I mean, is she the lead character? I mean, I think it's, Bill is really the lead character, right? But I mean, they're they're both the the co leads. But like, who's? I guess it's more her story than Bill's story. I think it's a little bit more her story because again, like you, other than their marriage and you know uh, marriage and divorce, you know nothing about Bill. Yeah. And that he was wild, you know, wild in his in his earlier days. Yeah, that when he was a a young storm storm chaser, he would drive around drunk and naked chasing storms. Like, yeah, okay, he's a wild man. Like that's 
That's what these scientists are doing. He's the no, no, no. He's the extreme. He's the, he's the extreme. That's right, right. That's his his actual nickname is the extreme. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. But you don't know why he does it. You you know absolutely why she's involved. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but why is Bill one of the storm chasers or any of the other people? Yeah. It's just they just love what they do. Yeah, they don't even talk. But you're told three different times in the movie. Well, it's what you do. It's what you do. Yeah. Like, come on, go. It's what you do. And I, I marked it because three different characters, I say, I think, say it about three other different characters. It's just what you do. It's in your nature. It's like the storm. Yeah. It, it, it can't be helped. It's just what you do. <laughs> yeah. Like, good boy. <laughs> uh, what were... Uh... Should we, uh, do you have a, uh, a little set? You know, let's, let's talk about this. This is our, our segment called moments of glory. Right. You got any, you got any moments of glory in this movie that really just strike home with you? Um, oh man, that, that scene when they're with Aunt Magda and they're talking about the extreme and then she's asking about mm-hmm. the, the scale of these tornadoes and, they say, oh, this that was an F2. Next one's going to be an F3, maybe an F4. And they're all like being all jolly. And then Jamie Gertz says, is there an F5? And they all like choke on their cookies and, and <laughs> coffee. And like, oh, like, you don't, like you don't mention F5s because that's what her father supposedly was killed by. She's not in the room. But right. the whole team just shudders at the thought. Like as if, as if they said the, the the he who should not be named you know out loud like yeah it was so yeah. dumb <laughs> I loved it and like like they're gonna cry you yeah. know like <laughs> yeah you know, it wasn't their dad and yeah. she's not even in the room yeah <laughs> yeah I know like it's just this is this is too big I mean obviously they love Joe very much they're they're her team you know Bill just comes back to them you know uh, but. Yeah, it's just that was really funny. I mean, I, and I mentioned other stuff that just gets me la- going, like Carrie always ask, accent and them all just saying it's what you do. Um, uh, How about this one? How about this one? Mm. I think we're going in. I like their, oh man that is that's tough at the end and when they drive through the house that is uh that got me yeah. I was on the floor yeah I mean I forgot I forgot about that and like it's just it's such a loony kind of sequence with everything like and then just to to punctuate it with that and then they show a vehicle driving through like four different interiors of that house which definitely don't fit yeah. the <laughs> the exterior shots at all but yeah. it's totally funny it's just totally great um, yeah, I mean uh, that that end is like just oh, it's a roller coaster ride at that point. You're yeah. just you're just holding on. Yeah, you know, you're just falling. Along. Um, um, but there was like weird continuity errors. Obviously, like a lot of this stuff is so chaotic. Like what you what you try to film practically and and trying to like keep that sense of continuity when they're driving on these roads. Like definitely a tough shoot. Definitely a logistical thing. But you know they avoid all the they avoid all this like farm equipment and in an, and in a uh in a wide shot the windshield just gets smashed by a piece of equipment mm-hmm. and it's not but then literally they just go back into the close up of Helen Hunt in the car and the the windshield's fine <laughs> like yeah like absolutely fine it's it's damaged previously but it got wrecked mm-hmm. it looked like it could whatever hit the thing would have could have killed her 
Um, and they just leave it in <laughs> like with sound. Like, I don't know. It's just a weird. Yeah. I don't know. Not, it doesn't matter, but it's just like, and there's just lots of little things of, I think you see the camera cars a bunch of times when they're like the cameras on the cars, when the vans pass and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. Well, and, and then you've got like, like a, a thousand helicopter shots. Yeah. So many, which would be drone, you know, you'd have drone shots now, but, uh, my God, there is a tremendous amount of helicopter. Like the the team is driving. They're going. They're on the move. You yeah. know. <laughs> well, they and they have to with that kind of triumphant music. The yeah. score. Well, with the, the score, but also like those hot rock songs, like that Van Halen song. Yeah. And uh, what was the other one? Um, the and the thing is though, like they driving to these things, like it's thirty miles out, and they they have to cut it down to like ninety seconds of their tra- like yep. their travel which would just normally be just be quiet. And, you know, there's they're in the lead vehicle, which is more or less scouting uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you think they're a big caravan, but then when they get to the intensity, they're, like, all over the place, like, you know, observing the thing. And you kind of have to, like, remind yourself that they're not all together because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does a good a good job of, of telling you that. You just have to figure it out. Um, yeah, spatially, there's a lot of issues. Yeah, but they, you know, they 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 do good just cutting to the chase, as it were, uh, quite literally. Um, yeah. What about? We got cows. Oh yeah, cow. <laughs> cow. I think that was oh, the same God. cow. I think that was the same cow. Yeah, another cow. I think it was the same cow. Yeah. <laughs> like most of the dialogue that comes from Jamie Gertz and most of the dialogue from Philip Seymour Hoffman is all, it's just, oh, it's hard. It's hard to sit through that of just fluff. You know, it's no, it's, it's some, it's a lot of information spewing, but no substance. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Well, a lot of jargon and I didn't even like, we got clutter. Uh, we're in the core. We got sisters. Yeah. Check out that upflow. We're going to the birdcage. Yep. Cool guy jargon. Yeah. It's back building. <laughs> like, and those all seem would make sense in context, I'm sure. <laughs> it's telling the audience something. Like something big's about to happen. They're using the jargon. Yeah, and it's it's funny because like all those things combine and like I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people still can't stand this movie and can't sit through it. But yeah. this time, I it just didn't. I laughed at it, but it didn't bother me as much. I I was able to kind of just, yeah, just have fun, and then, you know, on to the next action sequence. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what the movie is. You know, it's really. It never said it was about a good script and good dialogue and great fl- fleshed out characters like. <laughs> It's about the CGI and the effects, which are are really... I mean, what do you think about the effects? I, I think they looked really... I thought they held up really well. Yeah, they held up really well. Um, yeah, for the most part. Like, any of the... Any stuff that wasn't very close, I think, looked really good. And I don't know. Yeah, at the time, it must these things must have looked so amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's such an impressive thing. Like, the, the sky and... The, the twisters themselves looked just incredible. Um, yeah. 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 You get it taken out of it a little bit later with like uh, with the sister twisters and the uh, maybe that with a one giant tree that came after them on a certain shot, mm-hmm. you know, but 
it's like it's it all where it's fine <laughs> it's 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 fine it, it works yeah well years later like everything would have been digital like none of this would have been practical all the the hail would have been digital and the tree that that hits their car would have been digital and you know just so much would have been done a different way i think it was really helped with the amount of practical effects they did yeah um yeah and i think that's part of the magic of this thing is how real it all kind of feels you know for the they balance all, all that cgi that they do use with all that practical that makes it kind of thrilling and the it shot really well and 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 edited really well i think they 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 mm-hmm. knew how to keep the thrills going there's something yeah. just always happening um a lot of yeah. i just love yeah it. they kept the pacing up yeah the pacing was great and it was Ah, yeah, it was really exciting. I again, I th- I, I was really impressed with myself with how much I liked this. <laughs> like, me oof. too. I was surprised, and I and I'm not even, and I, I'm just sort of enjoying every moment. So like all these moments of glory, which are just like, ugh, <laughs> um, amuse me to no end without a sense of irony. I'm just like, this is really great. <laughs> I really like this. Did you catch uh, there is a there is something in this movie that connects this and the abyss? Did you catch it? Oh, was it a, a character name? I don't know. No. no. So the uh, oil tanker that um, mm. you know comes crashing at them. You know the, the second half of the movie. Mm-hmm. If you catch, if you look close, the name of the company on that tanker is Benthic Petroleum which is the company that Ed Harris and everybody work for in the abyss. Holy crap. This is in the abyss. So this is in the Cameron universe. I guess you could say, Oh my gosh, a whole new level, right? This just, this went deep on you. I didn't even know that's huge. That's amazing. So literally like the Terminator and Sarah Connor could come like flying across the screen and that'd be acceptable. Yeah, I mean, it'd just be like, that's the universe. That's, that's of yeah. course. Or Avatar, just, mm-hmm. you know, the blue guy riding a horse thingy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same. Um, so this was a big, this was a big test for Bill, for both Bill and Helen Hunt. Uh, can these guys, you know, we're giving them the ball. We're giving them this big giant movie. This is their first real, like, leading role in this kind of position. Uh, can they do it? What do you think? Did they, were they, did they succeed? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think this, uh, I think they both proved themselves in this and obviously they went on to continue to lead some really big movies and, um, you know, Helen Hunt ended up getting a lot more awards consideration, especially after as good as it gets, uh, than, than Bill did, um, but Bill would get, you know, more street cred kind of later on for some of his earlier stuff, like Near Dark and then Frailty, people really loved. And even Nightcrawler, I thought he was really, really great in it mm. as, a, you know, a real realistic person, like bad guy, you know, yeah. not a over the top, uh, you know, vampire or whatever. So, right. um, but yeah, so I think this, I think they proved themselves here and. Obviously, like this movie was huge. The impact was it's a big movie, big success. We're going to talk box office in a second, but it also created the whole Storm Chaser craze, which was on all like Discovery Channel and all those um, 
you know, nature shows. And uh, there was a lot of people that not that there hadn't been storm chasers before this. Of course, there had. Uh, but it made it sort of popular. Yeah, I think I I think this movie single handedly like re- altered reality television for a few years. And um, yeah. you got to give it credit for like exposing, uh, uh, bringing exposure to people that actually do this and what it what the science is all about. And I'm and I'm sure it it uh, inspired at least some children to to you know be awakened to being a weather scientist or whatever um and uh you know yeah just like jurassic park turned people on to getting into um you know studying dinosaurs and Mm -hmm. um i think this kind of did the same thing yeah yeah so good 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 for them good on that well and i think they appreciated it too you know when bill passed away they a lot of the whole world of the storm chasers you know honored him and and did something really really cool uh that um just to acknowledge him and thank him for putting what they do on the map and bringing attention like there's a lot of people who before this movie didn't know what an f5 was and and what the you know uh, that whole that whole scale is yeah i mean unless you live in the the part of the country that experiences this stuff on the daily or you know every year um you know you hear about this stuff when you from the outside um, but now this this, mm-hmm. this brought real attention to what what goes on. I mean, you, you see it every year yeah. on, on the news about devastation from tornadoes or something. But um, it, it's it, this was like a, this was an adventure movie that like just like legitimized what people go through and or the people that are trying to like study and help people. The main motivation mm-hmm. for our main character for Joe is to help people establish an early warning system. Right. That would have saved his, yeah, her dad. Yeah, exactly. Her motivation is not just to, she's not like trying to kill the storm. She, you know, she's not out for revenge. Right. She's like, I, I need to help people so another daddy doesn't die. <laughs> like, damn. All mm-hmm. right, that's that's yeah. huge. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great motivation. Yeah, yeah. So, um, let's talk. Uh, should we talk a little bo, a little box office? Sure. Yeah, box office. Do it. All right. Uh, the movie uh, shot throughout 1995, uh, May through, I believe, August of 95. It uh, was released May 10th, 96. Uh, it was an $88 million budget, which was enormous even back then. Um, that was, uh, you know, some one of the highest budget movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it opened up at number one. Ooh. With a $41.1 million opening weekend. That's, you know, half its budget right there. Nice. Uh, it opened up. Uh, the only other new release that weekend was Original Gangsters in uh, a bit of counter-programming. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously that's that would have been a much smaller release. Um, and look, this really, like, kick-started that summer of 96. Because this was, uh, I mean, what was at the top of the box office at the time was... The truth about cats and dogs, mm. the craft, and primal fear. So, completely different kinds of movies than this one. Oh, this 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 one started the summer season then on May tenth. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, and it was it was like one you know every couple of weeks it was like boom 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 like one after another it was it was this it was Mission Impossible it was The Rock it was oh, Independence yeah. Day and then Kingpin was later that summer and I feel like something else was out too. The, the you had uh, Hunchback and Eraser and oh yeah right, right. <laughs> you know uh, 
Yeah, so like a lot of a lot of great summer films out that year. Nutty Professor. Also, Nutty also, Professor. That's the other one I was thinking of. Yep. Cable Guy in that summer. Cable Guy. Cable I want to look at that. Let's put that on the list for someday. Okay. I've never seen it. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. That just pulled up closer than someday. Oh, great. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. It ends up with a $241 million domestic run, uh, $495 uh, worldwide, so huge hit. I mean, massive amount of money. It's the number two movie of 96. Do you remember what was number one that year? Oh, uh, I think we covered it on our show. Independence Day. We did. Yes, you got it. And uh, number three was uh, Mission Impossible. So, you know, big hits there. Uh, It ends up... I, I was checking uh, the adjusted the the all time box office adjusted for inflation, mm-hmm. and this movie is still in the top one hundred. Hey, nice. All right. Yeah, adjusted adjusted for inflation. So basically, Gone with the Wind is number one for all time. Right. That, I don't think that's ever going to change. But uh, this is number ninety one, and it falls behind Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, and right in front of Men in Black. Oh my gosh. How about that? So it's, yeah, it's still really, obviously, like every year there seems to be more and more bigger and bigger movies with, with all the various franchises that are out there. But, but yeah, Twister's still up there. Uh, I think, I think that's, uh, you know, top 100 still, they're all doing very, very well. Very good. I couldn't be prouder. <laughs> yeah, you're so proud of Twister. I'm so proud of Twister. Um, but yeah, I think this did a lot for Bill. Uh, it certainly set him up financially to do, you know, to make a movie like Frailty that he that he directed and co-starred in mm-hmm. um, later on. I think this helped him do that and helped do movies like Simple Plan. That that you know, there was a lot more. Like yeah, he did the popcorn movie, but um, that enabled him to do some of the work that he did after that. And uh, I, I think it was. Um, yeah, I think it was an important, obviously a very important movie in his career. Whether you love the movie or don't like the movie, uh, it was it was a milestone in his career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think, Jack Burton's in? Uh, you know, 2020. What would you give? Yeah. What would you give Twister on our scale of Jack Burton's? That's our Jack Burton scale for those who are new to the show is a, uh, we love Kurt Russell here. So it's on a scale of one to 13. Where would you rank? Uh, how many Jack Burton's would you give Twister? Twister. Um, my gut's telling me like, I don't know, like a eight and a half, nine, probably. I don't know. Maybe eight <laughs> and a half. You know, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, and, I'm not trying to weigh it against the other movies that I've given numbers to, but yeah, I think that's probably mm-hmm. right. Yeah, let's say eight and a half. That's for me. I'm going to give, just drop it a little bit lower. I'm going to give it a seven, which mm-hmm. uh, it really depends what you're looking for. You know what? I'll take that. I'll bump it to, no, I'm going to keep it seven. Keep it at seven. <laughs> it's, it's, it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for a lot of substance and good characters and, uh, you know, nice character arcs, you're not going to get that here. That's not the kind of movie that this is. If you're looking for 
you know, kind of mindless entertainment and to take you out of reality and uh, a lot of effects and suspense and, you know, good action sequences, which there's a plenty in this. Um, yeah, then this is going to be your kind of movie. So it's kind of almost right in the middle for me. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, my eight and a half does feel a little high. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm just going to say that off the cuff. Yeah, well, you can leave it there. It's okay. Yeah, I don't know. No lower than an eight. We'll, a- <laughs> we'll, we'll average it at like seven and three quarters or eight. There so go. there you go. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, it was fun to look back at. I was surprised that, that I enjoyed it as much as I did on an entertainment value. Um, I I didn't expect that. So yeah. uh, you know, kudos for Twister, still getting it done. Good job. Uh, Twenty four years later. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty four years. Woo. Yeah. Good job. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, that's gonna I think that's gonna wrap up our Paxton Fest, uh, twenty twenty. Of course, he's got a lot of other great movies. So. Uh, maybe maybe uh, 2021 we'll look at a handful of his other some of his other works but uh, it was really fun to kind of look at his career and where it went and of course uh, we missed Bill and I, I you know it would have been interesting to see where his career would have gone as he got to that next level you know a different he was like you said he was 61 when he passed uh, as he graduated in in age to see you know, because he still looked young. He really didn't look that old. I don't think he looked 61 when he passed away. And he was, you know, doing the training day TV show. So it would have been interesting to see. Uh, I bet he would have had a career resurgence. And, and uh, you know, as he aged into that older older character actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, we'll never know. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, thank you, Bill, and for for uh, all the work you put out there, and we we will always have that to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but we got look, we got a great rest of our summer lineup coming. We've had a lot of fun with, uh, you know, before Paxton Fest, we've had Caddyshack, and we look took a look back at Wyatt Earp and uh, Mystery Men, a forgotten you know comedy of the '90s, and and we got a lot more coming. It's going to be an interesting August uh, as we approach that, and. And uh, it'll be it'll be fun uh, continuing as we head into the fall. Yeah, so stay tuned. Keep on coming back. Yeah, stay tuned and check us out as always on social media. We're Reconsidimation Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can find us, of course, on www.reconsidimation.com. Drop us a line there. Uh, let us know how you feel about uh, whatever episode you've listened to or anything you want us to cover down the road. Uh, we're always open to suggestions and ideas and uh, quick shout out and thank you to our friends E.K. Wimmer for the theme song as usual uh, looking forward to having him back on the show sometime soon we're batting around some ideas now so that, that'll be fun when we get him back and you can check out his podcast Laser Graves uh, wherever you listen to podcasts it's a really really fun show and look back at a lot of you know, uh, lower budget horror movies of the eighties, a very particular kind of, uh, genre that he's going after, but a lot of fun episodes there. And, uh, thank you to Curtis Moore as always for the poster. Uh, it's, uh, I love seeing how, you know, he gets us in on the movie each week. <laughs> yeah. He, he does a great job. Thank you, Curtis. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, look, it's, uh, here, here, Recon Cinema Studios, the clouds, the the, the forecast has changed clouds uh, it's looking a little little gray a little dark out there I'm gonna uh, 
I'm hearing the wind chimes pick up. I better I better get in the helicopter and get out of here <laughs> yeah, before go, uh, go before f- it hits. Get out of here. Definitely get in that helicopter. <laughs> it won't be dangerous. It'll be fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe I'll drive another my oil tanker out of here and hopefully uh, get out before the storm. <laughs> oh, that's, that's even better. <laughs> yeah. I'll take the tanker. You take the cow. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on Reconsinimation. Bye now. Bye now.